So good evening. Oh, good evening and welcome. Um, many of you know me, if not everybody. My name is Yuan Lin, and I'm a co-director at the IMA with Aileen Burns. Um, in the spirit of reconciliation and respect, we'd like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which we gather, the Jaguaran, the terrible people. And I pay my respect to elders past and present, and I would like to acknowledge all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders here tonight. Uh, this is very exciting. This is the fifth out of six lectures in the year-long series, The Artist Ass. We're delighted to have Melbourne-based, um, but I can barely say Melbourne-based artists because um, Brooke Andrew is um, working so much overseas these days that you know it's uh, almost unclear if he spends any time in Melbourne. Um, but The Artist Ass is a co-presentation with curatorial practice at Monash um, uh, University in Melbourne. Um, and in this talk called The Artist as Archivist, uh, um, Brooke will reflect on his collaborations and interventions in museums, both in Australia and abroad, and will examine the important role his own archive and a collection has played when it, um, uh, in his practice and why he became an avid collector and is interested in archives to begin with. Um, I'm not gonna go through a list of exhibitions. Um, Brooke has had far too many, but uh, last year, Brooke was awarded a very prestigious three-year federal government um, of Australia Research Council grant um, for a project entitled Representation, Remember Remembers, and the Monument, and is responding to kind of an urgent calls for um, uh, thinking about uh, national monuments and memorials for Aboriginal laws. Um, our next lecture, the final lecture of this series, The Artist Ass, will be by Berlin-based curator and writer Tirdat Solgarar, and is um, scheduled for the 8th of November. Um, and Tirdat's lecture is called The Artist Ass Quarry, um, and he'll explore that further when he comes. Um, but without further ado, I um, just want to um, uh, invite Brooke to give his talk, The Artist Ass Archivist. Thanks for coming tonight, and thank you for welcome to country. Um, I'd also like to acknowledge my mum and dad who are here up the back, and um, friends and new friends, um, and thank you for the invitation for tonight. Um, I'm really excited about the, the broader project um, that you and Tara are putting, both and Tara are putting together. Um, considering we've only got about 45 minutes of me giving a presentation and then hopefully some discussion afterwards, I thought I would focus on three different areas of my practice. Um, the first one would be uh, about w working with one singular archive. So, for example, I'll be talking about my recent commission with the Musée de Kibaranli in Paris, um, of which um, Namilla is in this portrait, uh, is about. And then I'll be speaking about my uh, collaboration with many different institutes in Madrid for an exhibition at the Reina Sofia a few years back now, but also incorporating my own um, archive. And then finally, I'll be reflecting on um, the importance of particular cultural objects that go into collections and often families don't see them and, and the difficulties and trauma spaces around that. And of course, in saying that, I mean, all of these histories are traumatic. Um, Australia is no different to the kind of experiences that other international uh, peoples or nations have. Uh, and furthermore, it's not just around colonialism. And the reason why I'm saying this is because 
Um, I come from a family uh, that is, was from the western suburbs of Sydney when we were growing up. We knew that my grandmother was from a Rambu mission, but we didn't really know too much about what that meant in regards to loss, the loss of culture, the loss of memory in regards to language, medicine, um, and other really important aspects of cultures that we today would consider important. So, for example, we can go to a doctor, you know, and we can get healed. And it really didn't dawn upon me that this was something that is very traumatic within our society till I was about maybe <clears throat> 17, 18, when my grandmother said to me, oh, Brooke, you know, I just really miss the mission days because we could just relax and kick back and, you know, have a stress-free life away from the housing commission homes in the city, etc. And that's been playing on my mind for many decades now. But what that actually means is that it is something that we inherited, which is loss. And that's why this is such a traumatic experience for many Indigenous artists and also non-Indigenous artists, peoples, communities. And so therefore, how do we navigate those places? And it's never an easy navigation. Um, so when I do travel internationally and I meet other peoples from other places, this story is very similar. So in some ways, there are some positive um, connections in that. And the thing that I've seen changing over the last probably five or six or seven years um, from my first uh, museum intervention experience back in 1996 at the Royal Albert Memorial Museum in Exeter is that people are really engaging in the fact that there are other narratives that are important for people that are not part of the dominant narrative, so i.e. the dominant European narrative. Um, so really, that's what this first project is about here that I'd like to talk about. It's also the most recent one. It's um, just completed. And I was very lucky to be a, laureate, a photographic laureate um, commission uh, at the Musée de Kibranli, the three of them that happen um, throughout the world um, yearly. And they really, it is a way in which that the Musée de Kibranli would like to engage with places other than themselves that is a way for them to uh, access contemporary cultures and people using photography. And I think that's a very brave thing for a place like the Musée de Kibranli, considering that their photographic archive is around 500,000 images, which are mainly, of course, from the early colonial French uh, areas, you know, era right up until the 1960s, 1970s. Um, and really what this commission is normally about uh, is really to give money to photo photographers in their places which are normally ex-colonies or places that have a colonial past. And the photographers will create contemporary work. Uh, Fiona Partington from New Zealand did um, create some work as well from that uh, commission. And one thing that I did for this project was to really look at their archive. My aim was to look at how many photographs I could see. Um, it was a very difficult task, 500,000, only about 350,000 of them are digitised. Um, I looked at about 25,500 images, um, about a third of them I could only physically look at, and that was gruelling in itself. 
Um, and I did start to think about the dominant narrative, which has been an, a very kind of um, at the forefront of my practice, uh, which we'll reflect on when we get to the Reina Sophia um, installation. It was really important for me to connect with people that I've had uh, conversations with over the many years, and some of them were radio announcers and um, cultural uh, activators like Miller Benson, who's PNG, but she lives in Melbourne, and, um, and other people where I could share the archive, or a very, very tiny aspect of that archive from the Musidiki Branley. So what I did is that I went through these thousands of uh, archives and I selected only 100 images, which is a difficult task. Um, and the reason why that I wanted to have the 100 is because I was looking at also images of, uh, as I would call them, the visitor. So really the original title of this work is the, the resident and the visitor. So I really looked at who was being photographed and um, who was doing the photographing or who was, who was visiting these kind of places. And there were less than 1% photographs of uh, anthropologists, painters, visitors, often um, uh, people of royalty or wealth, of course, would visit these places and um, they were not always um, photographed. <clears throat> but I did find some. So I divided it up and I had 50 images just printed out in photocopy paper. Of, um, of these visitors, and um, I had 50 images of residents. And so then I went to different people and I asked them to kind of curate, I suppose, their own narrative. How would, how would this look like if you were to put these images together? What is the juxtaposition of these photographs? Um, and what are the kind of stories that you would like to create? Um, but in saying that, they didn't have to put a resident and a visitor image together. I mean, that was something that I was very interested in. Um, so we had a conversation, so I would go and visit these people and we would spend about two or three hours together um, and I would take many photographs. But this one with Namilla, um, uh, she uh, picked a, an image of a woman from Samoa on the left and um, a family from PNG on the right. And you can see down below, um, there's a whole bundle of the images that we went through. Um, and when we went through some of these images, of course, uh, some of them may have had provenance, but not necessarily very particular provenance. Um, some of the images that I selected were, um, have children in them, some of them um, had naked images of people in them, um, some of them were not. And so some of them were your classic kind of, uh, you know, romantic or ethnographic kind of gaze. And it was just about how these people put these images together. So this is uh, Marcos Marilla, and uh, Marcos is, uh, I met Marcos in Paris, and this is his, in his studio at the, um, at the, at the Recollet, um, just near Gadelest, where I also stayed. And I tried to really photograph people in their homes or as close to their place that, that we could be. Um, Marcos and I have since become good friends. He is from the University of Brasilia in Brazil, and um, We've had very long, frustrating conversations about racism within Brazil, um, especially around uh, the issue of blackface that exists within Brazil, so the painting up of the face. Um, and there's TV shows around that that show, you know, that on our equivalent of Channel 10. 
Um, the other really interesting thing about Marcos is um, he was uh, very close to Derrida, and so he was, um, I suppose, Derrida's um, uh, understudy uh, for the last two years of Derrida's life. And um, what um, Marcos decided to choose here was this, um, you know, 1970s image on the right-hand side of a man in Africa who was changing his uh, camera. And he clearly looks a bit annoyed about being photographed and probably wasn't asked to be photographed. And the camera itself on the left-hand side. Uh, this is Joy Gregory. This photo was actually taken in Vancouver, but she's a, an artist, a Jamaican-British artist, who's based in London. And um, a lot of her work is around um, linguicide. And the kind of conversations that we had around the archive was really about desire and representation. So she was very interested in the conflict and action of the body and how the body is desirable and it's beautiful but it's also naked and it's also reveals, of course, the, the photograph and the way in which that people were photographed. Um, and so she just wanted to show one image and this was the image. And for her, this was a desirable image. So she didn't feel that it was a, a offensive. She felt that the man was proud. Um, you can't really see it here, but he has tattoos running down the back. Um, and so I continue to have conversations with Joy. Um, so as you can see, I mean, this is a kind of a project that kind of took the, um, the well, Christine Barth, who was the curator who, who, who invited me or, you know, to, to do this project, um, I think it took them by um, surprise. I think that they thought, because of my other practice, I would only be working with the archive to create new images. But I really wanted to kind of insert um, those people that maybe would not have an opportunity to, to access um, these photographs. And so that was a kind of a context which... I think that the, that the museum really needs to work with a lot more. And I'm really, um, it's great that they've, they've allowed this to happen. So this is Trent Walter. Um, Trent's mother, mother is Sri Lankan and his father is um, English Australian. And he was quite taken by the image on the right from Central Africa of the anthropologist um, dressing up like the locals, where conversations I had with other people, for example, with Namilla, thought that it was offensive that he was doing that. So, you know, of course, you know, there's all these kind of contrasting views. Um, and he liked the image on the left because uh, he's often struggled with loading a camera. And I think it's these kind of light-hearted, real uh, thoughts and issues that we kind of forget about in the gaze of primitivism, ethnography, anthropology. We're so laden with all of these kind of negative, kind of uh, um, horrendous kind of uh, histories, which are absolutely there. But also there's reality of humanity. Um, and, that's, and Trent is a printer, so that's in his studio. So this is Laurence, and Laurence is a very interesting person I met. She's a filmmaker in Paris, and her mother is uh, French-Algerian, and her father is French, but she was born in Morocco. So this is around when the French were in Algeria and Morocco. 
Um, and this is, uh, you can see that her home looks Moroccan, even though she's in Paris. But, you know, the really interesting thing um, uh, that she said to me and we talked about a lot was, she goes, Brooke, we are children of the colony. And it was such a great term, children of the colony. Uh, you know, in France, there's a lot of heated discussion about French people who were born in Morocco, in Algeria. Of course, they're called the Blackfoot after the, the black feet of the soldiers being in Algeria. And um, I also interviewed a man who was a French, Spanish, Moroccan and took his portrait. I don't have it here. Um, but he said that they were called the fig tree um, because of the Spanish connection. And so, you know, they really did talk about the kind of layered... Um, uh, you know, the, you know, if you're French, you're kind of here, and then if you're Spanish, French are there, but if you're Moroccan, Spanish, French are there. I mean, there's this kind of, you know, this hierarchy which we have in Australia. I mean, there's this kind of, you know, very similar um, stories around negotiating colonialism and, and um, prejudice. But people could often, I asked them to also um, show one of their own photographs as well. And so what she did is she showed a photograph here of her mother who actually worked for the French... Um, when the, when the First World War worked with the French government to, um, as a photographer to photograph uh, the Moroccan um, uh, landscape. Um, and this woman on the left reminded her of her mother who she had a very difficult relationship with. Um, and on the right-hand side, it's a, I'm pretty sure it's from Peru, there's um, some young girls um, smiling and laughing and looking through the camera, and she felt that was really important considering the representation of women or girls is very lacking or the way in which that they're positioned to pose in certain ways. This is Leoli um, Shiragi in his Iranian Samoan based in Melbourne. Um, and Leoli, he's a very dynamic character. Um, <laughs> especially in queer theory, um, he, you know, is, he's a dynamite. Look out for him. He's a curator and artist. He's, you know, stumbling his way through a really exciting period in regards to dominant narratives, rejecting those narratives, creating new narratives through Samoan language and other languages that are absolutely, yeah, I'll say it again, just rejects the, the Western notion of culture, life, how we communicate with each other. Etc. Um, this is a Samoan chief that he decided to pick there, and on the left is a coloured picture of his grandmother. And one more photo for this project. Um, this is uh, Jamie, um, and she's a, a very interesting, um, sweet, quiet um, person. She's very interesting. Her mother is uh, Malay Chinese and her father's Indian. And we had long, lots of conversations about the issue of um, identity in regards to all the kinds of people she th people think she looks like. Um, and this uh, photograph here is a, a woman, a very beautiful woman from Darjeeling in um, in India, and the reason why she picked that is because some people would come up to her and thought that she was indigenous from Darjeeling. So these uh, photographs are um, just kind of wrapping this project up uh, now. So I'm going back to Paris in uh, about three weeks, and 
it's interesting when places like the Mizidi Kibranli, um, uh, I suppose, um, acquire works like this. I'm very skeptical about museums like that, but I also think that they are trying to do something really interesting, and you can also have really great arguments with them um, that are often um, not so um, progressive here in Australia, which is another conversation altogether. Um, I'd like to introduce the um, Splinters of Monuments, a solid memory of the forgotten planes of our trash and obsession. So this is a really great, exciting project, one of probably the most interesting ones I've been involved in. Um, I met the curators from um, Verheve, um, is it where, how and whom, or whom, why? Why, how, and for whom? Who are um, Zagreb based, except one of them, I think, is in Berlin. And um, I don't know if any of you know my, uh, the exhibition I curated at the MCA called Taboo, but they came to see that show. And um, so this vitrine here in the show was really part of that um, initial, um, I suppose, conversation. Okay, how do I talk about this in 10 minutes? So the interesting thing about this project is that really the exhibition which was called really useful knowledge was really looking at education and um, if it's community kind of generated education if it's institutional generated is it um, kind of a more community organization institute generated and so one thing that I was very interested in doing was looking at the mess that we have in Australia and the kind of sticky, difficult um, history wars and still the non-acknowledgement of indigenous frontier wars and the kind of conflict of that and primitivism and also looking at Spain. So really it was kind of like smashing Spain colonial history with British Australian colonial history together and those legacies. And so I got to also work with the collections of the Musita Americas, which if you ever go to Madrid, you must go to. It's when they completely went to the Americas and got a very nice collection. Um, and also the Anthropological Museum um, in Madrid. Everyone was really fantastic. I'm kind of speechless really still just thinking about how they really opened up their collections. They really wanted their collections to be negotiated in contemporary ways. And that was very refreshing. Um, and so I got to work with also the Reina Sofia's collection. So that's um, a really beautiful Diego Rivera painting on the left-hand side. And during the opening, um, some Spanish people came up to me and said, Brooke, why have you got that? Diego Rivera, that's a very romantic painting. You know, you, again, trying to do the, the Spanish thing where, you know, making everything romantic. And, um, and we had a really great conversation about it. And I said, well, yeah, it's very similar to the romance of primitivism or the romance of many colonised places. Um, and, but if you see behind, there's a man on the right-hand side just peeping out. In the darkness, there's a lot of trauma. There's a lot of kind of tough life in the background. So it's got this kind of dual sensibility, this painting. It's really fantastic. Um, and so it was an opportunity for me to incorporate my own collection into the archive. 
Uh, my, uh, my own personal archive is being archived at the moment. I have an archivist, which is really great, a grant to do that. And so I have many thousands of objects, postcards, books, on, um, as even a human skeleton, which was used um, during the old days for in, med in medicine school. Um, in Australia and of course before plastics came in to replace those skeletons a lot of those skeletons came from the subcontinent so that's a whole other aspect of, of collections and collecting. Um, this is a beautiful old, um, I think it's an 18th century map um, and these two photographs are Russian photographs of the Second World War. Um, I found these two, photogra two photographs, it's from a Russian archive, government archive, but I acquired these through um, a rare book um, and um, um, artifacts kind of dealer in Zagreb. So sometimes I'll go to different places. I'm pretty sure the place I went to was pro-Nazi. Um, so it was pretty creepy being in there, but you know, you kind of go to these different places to acquire these different objects. And so here I've turned the world into this pretty grim looking place, I must say. And so really the aim was to juxtapose, like I was saying, um, my own collection with the museum's collection. The really wonderful thing about um, working with the collection was the director um, taking me around and explaining to me the darkness, the depression that the Spanish have after they lost the colonies. And because I, I had a conversation with him um, about these photographs here, you can't see them very well, but um, they've incorporated into the installation, the images from the Anthropological Museum in Madrid, and they're from two human um, exhibits that happened about 1900, I think it was early 1900s. One was from the people from Central Africa and the other group were from were, um, the uh, Eskimo people from Canada. And I asked them who organized this human um, uh, exhibition, etc. And they were very nice, but basically they didn't have any information about it. It wasn't at the forefront of their investigation for the country. And as the director of the Rainy Sophia was saying to me, they're still trying to get over the trauma of Franco and what happened during that period. And I found that very interesting kind of conversation about how I'm kind of trying to unpack what are these colonial legacies? What is it that they inherit? What, what don't they? And what is clear is that there is still um, um, animosity between, of course, the Spanish and the so-called you know, colonies of, or the ex-colonies of, of the Americas, um, and which we have in Australia, without a doubt. There's still conflict here, there's still animosity here. Um, and so this is something that I really wanted to kind of put together. Um, also in one of these images, either side, you'll see two very early Cindy Sherman images. Um, I actually have a close-up of one here. Um, this is the bus rider, so she blacked up for that. Um, it's something that, you know, somebody did that today. It's very interesting. Um, and so it was a juxtaposition of these Cindy Sherman images. Um, this is just my digital mock-up I thought I'd put in there of, of the plan that I made um, when I was doing the show. And so you'll see a little bit more clearly, um, and there's also one Aboriginal man um, from New South Wales. Um, 
in the, which is a, um, a Charles Carey photograph in my collection. So the idea was to use original materials to, um, I suppose, juxtapose um, these kind of American dialogues um, and you know, Spanish. I really wanted also to kind of have that famous artist in there, Cindy Sherman, what does it mean, you know, American, what is she doing? What does that mean for America back then? Would she do it again now? Is she kind of somehow, um, you know, how do we look at art? Um, also, in the exhibition, you see up here the three works. Uh, they're three um, of 52 works. Um, and of a work I call 52 Portraits, which I'll talk about in just a minute. But I'll also introduce the other works. These are caster paintings along the bottom, a very famous Mexican caster paintings, which um, depicted casts of people. So, um, and I've also got a very, I've got a close up of that, so I might just jump to them. So I suppose I'm kind of demonstrating how different parts of my personal archive, like this book, um, kind of creates one work, and then that one work is inserted into another work. So if I was to draw something, I'd have lots of dots, and I'd be kind of joining all of the dots, and they're all kind of influencing each other and, and um, kind of inserting themselves amongst each other. So this is a 1909 book by uh, Professor Richard Berry, um, who was one of the founding members of the University of Melbourne. And this is a very interesting find. Um, it's 52 drawings of Tasmanian crania, Aboriginal skulls, that were in mainly private collections. And so this is really one of the reasons that spurred this whole idea of creating 52 portraits. So these images are taken from postcards in my postcard collection, which are clearly don't say the name of the people. If you're lucky, it might say a particular province in a particular place, but often it will just say Congo, um, Egyptian, um, uh, African, um, Indian. You might get something like um, the image before Darjeeling, but very rarely. And so the idea was really kind of looking at the international human remains trade and how is it that I can represent this. Um, it was also kind of I was riffing a bit off um, a couple of other um, artists who have created lots of portraits um, uh, about particular groups of people um, like writers, for example, <clears throat> like a German painting. Um, <clears throat> but it was really something that I felt needed to express this kind of narrative where uh, what happens in Australia in the archives, the wealth of that knowledge and that memory and how little is known about it, yet internationally many people do travel to those places overseas and... Um, I think that people should be travelling here a lot more to those places as well. So this is a, one of the examples of the caster painting. Um, it shows um, an, a native Indian woman with a Spanish man and, and their child. So there were many paintings of these kind of juxtaposed next to these other paintings. So this is really one way that kind of looking at colonialism. Uh, this is a, a work that I also inserted into the 
into the installation. Um, all of the objects in there are from my own collection and they really are from different places, uh, normally through the colonial experience and connecting Australia to those places internationally um, and really kind of creating a narrative that's important that these things happen elsewhere um, and they're happening simultaneously or at slightly different times. And how is it that we can actually, you know, think about that, the kind of a different narrative instead of the typical kind of European view of this is what happened in those kind of, in that kind of linear space. So I'm going to talk now about um, a project I did at the um, Ian Potter Museum of Art around the um, 100 year anniversary of the um, First World War. That's quite a difficult topic because um, of course there are many un, you know, spoken wars that happened in this country and like um, we were talking about before, the, the kind of frontier wars as well. Um, but of course everyone knows this, this is a king plate and um, so I acquired this into my collection and I really wanted to create um, a place that was about memorial and how is it that you know, we can engage in significant kind of um, histories that are not part of that dominant narrative which kind of connects us to the same place. And so I worked with a carpenter to create this. Um, it's, it's kind of a cross between, I suppose, a, a place of like a museum, kind of glass vitrine with um, a church, I suppose, um, or, and, and also some kind of um, monument. And it's made from Victorian ash. And also you can see that the feet are like roots and, they're char and they, they've been burnt and kind of charcoaled. Um, often with these objects, uh, they're so powerful. I mean, how do we even contemplate looking at them, let alone them being in places? Um, of significance today. And it was interesting because I went and saw um, uh, a performance, or well, I, I suppose it was um, um, Uncle Jack Charlie um, in um, Melbourne. And of course you m must know him, very renowned um, performer. He's very inspirational. And um, he talked about how he was talking to school groups in regards to the um, difficulty of talking about massacres and those kind of difficult histories. And one thing that um, he said to these people is, oh, don't worry about it, you know, I'm not gonna get too gory. I mean, I don't know if you use those words, but you know, it was kind of like, what are you talking about? I mean, if we look at the narratives of the First and the Second World War, we have incredible documentation and images of that. Um, so I don't, you know, it's a kind of perplex perplexing to kind of fathom why is it that we can't talk about these other difficult narratives. <clears throat> so there's also one other work that I'll talk about. This is part of that exhibition. Um, there's about seven or eight different components to this. So within this work, um, I really reflected on um, imagery from the First World War. So this kind of represents the three pyramids of uh, Egypt and of course the soldiers being there. And the kind of objects I put inside this were from the um, 
University of Melbourne's vast collections. I have many different collections in very different departments, um, from anatomy to um, uh, their own collection uh, of the visual arts. But one thing that um, I really wanted to be present in there were contemporary items. Um, so on the right-hand side here, you have a chocolate mask. So I picked that up in Paris. And that chocolate mask, um, I spoke with a chocolatier about it. I was really surprised to see it in there. And um, I said, well, you know, why is this here? Where does it come from? What influenced this, this mask? And they talked about how the um, chocolatier was um, very much inspired by the Musidiki Brownlee and picked a, picked a mask in there and wanted to make it into chocolate. And so um, there are these kind of like difficult juxtaposition of narratives all throughout this here. Um, some of the criticisms have been about what are the connections of these things? Are they just different objects kind of being placed in there together? Um, you know, how do we make sense of these kind of connections? And I think that we all have our own narratives and we put objects together that maybe not even be the same as our, as our siblings or our parents or our cousins or other people. And we see and we look at trauma differently and we kind of deal with those issues differently. Um, but above all, I think that's something that is important why I'm creating my own kind of archive is because Part of the dominant narrative, what we see on TV, billboards, even maybe what we talk to each other about, I'm not sure, is a kind of part of a, a very particular narrative. And there's many bits that are missing in between. And it's that kind of in-betweenness um, that, I'm, that I'm very interested in, in kind of teasing out. Um, and so, to kind of go with this, um, this work here, I created this archive um, that seemingly really don't have anything to do with it. It's kind of like poetry for me. Um, I do write poetry myself. I don't often show it. But um, the, the kind of different images that are kind of woven in here speak to me. And so I won't talk about this work right now, but I suppose this is really... Um, you know, what artists do, what poets do, what, you know, what we all do, and that is as we think about stuff, we put things together, we arrange things, and often that's not part of the dominant narrative. And so, you know, I'm very, like I said, interested in how that um, comes together. Um, I haven't been speaking for very long, have I? Did, yeah? Maybe, would you, should we have, do you want me to talk more or should I, should we have some conversations? Um, the current work in the Oh, yes. No, it's a really good question, yeah. So um, I don't have any images on me right now, but um, there's a work, uh, a very big installation called Evidence, which is at the Powerhouse Museum in Sydney. And um, I was commissioned to really reflect on um, objects in, um, uh, in Australian collections that were kind of um, looking at, I think it was called Really Useful, 
that's what I really thought was what it was called. The show that came from the V&A. Disobedient objects, thank you. And so that was really interesting because about 70% of the, of the works in that show were not from the V&A's collection, yet they were very social and politically kind of motivated. Um, and so the Powerhouse Museum really wanted a show about evidence. And so what I did in that show was bring together um, objects from the collection. So for example, there's a, a, a clock made in Germany, um, which had a little kind of um, stamp next to it which said Marilinga. So it was the way in which that, that somehow bizarrely that event became uh, a, a, a tourist um, event. Of course, we, also, we all know how tragic that is. Um, and so what I did is that I created like large kind of sculptural, soft sculptural objects out of those things, um, those objects. Um, and it was about juxtaposing, like in this case, um, different kind of objects together that would tease out histories that would hopefully, you know, feed into the evidence of certain things that are not known about. Um, um, and one of them was a computer from the 1970s, a very old, big, computer that was very big and heavy and antiquated. And the reason why that was in there is because it was um, during the change from uh, the Liberal government to the Labor government. The Labor gov government didn't want um, scientists to uh, investigate uranium anymore. Um, but those scientists continued to investigate under the radar. So that was evidence about, I suppose, disobedience in that sense as well. So it wasn't just about Indigenous histories, it was about Australian histories. Mm. Um, when you're talking about your recent work with the Musée Keith Bromley, mm. um, you were saying you were getting into quite interesting debates and conversations with the curators about what should be done with their collections and um, whatnot. I wonder if you could tell us a bit about, for example, what they had on display when you were there. What are they normally presenting? And um, at what points do the conflicts arise? Because I think that that's where things get interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I mean, the Music of Kibberley is a very interesting place because when you go to it, it's kind of like Disneyland. And um, Auntie Sana Beha, who's unfortunately her image is in, in here, but she's from the um, same island as Namilla is, but she went there for the opening of the Kibberley and they had a song on from her um, community, which is a mourning song, so it was a sad song, but they kind of took it as like, oh, let's just play some music in the background. Um, and so we spoke a lot about that. Um, and so really what it was about is me taking those conversations outside of the museum and empowering people I knew or people I would meet and then how they would insert their own kind of views of the archive. Um, and so even though this might look like a static image, it, these all have stories that go with them uh, and the kind of around the conversations that we had. Um, and I think that even near the end of this project, the, the curator was saying, so Brooke, you know, do you think you might do some other work that's kind of more directly related to the archive? And it's like, well, this is, this is not directly related to the archive. But I mean, she's, you know, they were all fantastic about it anyway. Um, I mean, I've been to the Key Brownlee many times and it's got huge issues with it. But one thing that I like about the French 
is that you can have conversations and things can change. Maybe not at the scale that I would like them to or other people would like them to. Like Laoli, who I showed you a picture of before, he wouldn't want to work with them and I've sent him information about PhD or other kind of you know, research grants that he could do there. But he, well, I kind of had to talk to him a little bit more about it, but um, I can understand why people would or wouldn't want to work with them. Mm. But the, um, it's an interesting question. I, I find that um, um, a lot more of the other European, like the smaller European countries, are more are taking more risks. Mm. And just a quick follow-up question on the same project. So um, the presentation back in, is there a presentation back in the Musée Key Brandley? Like, are these portraits of people's selections of the photographer and the photographed to be presented back in their exhibition halls, or is it a project that operates outside the context of that museum? Um, it's, it was really just about how they can strengthen their contemporary photographic collection. Um, but um, one of the directors, Eves, was very interested in um, uh, showing these photographs on large billboards in the museum, and which I think is a great start because it shows contemporary people making contemporary decisions about people they think they're related to in the archive or, you know, kind of connections that they can kind of see themselves with people, you know, who are not part of um, a kind of a, you know, dominant European narrative. And I think for him to say that, I was really surprised and happily surprised. Yeah. You've been working kind of in this way with museums and institutions for over 10 years now. Do you think museums have gotten better at acknowledging their own histories for the manner in which they've collected the objects that you kind of play with? Where? Everywhere. Everywhere? Uh, yeah. Or are European institutions doing it better than what Australian institutions are? Um, no, I don't, think, I don't think most places like alternate narratives and histories. <laughs> Um, and I think that if it is the um, if if it is the story or the thrust of that museum to invite other narratives in, I think they really want to encourage that, um, or they kind of dip their toe in or stuff. I mean, the kind of the more um, to the point, I suppose, uh, I would say maybe if I'm personally interested or not working with the museums is when they start talking to me and they go, oh, actually, it's going to be hard to move that wall. Or, you know, the kind of real mundane things that kind of... I know it sounds kind of funny, right? But the thing is, the whole idea, if you want to challenge a narrative, it's the building is a monument to those... to that. You walk in it and, you know, you're in it. Um, um, but in saying that, it's not that I want to turn things upside down. It's more about, okay, that's a room, let's paint this, let's get that object, let's put it there. Let's, you know, create these narratives. So it's more about creating work in the space that might take three weeks. So you don't have a five-day turnaround. You can't just say, no, you have to do it in five days or you're not doing it. I mean, I think that a lot of artists... Um, especially when you're younger, you kind of get, oh, I have to do it within five days. I have to change the way I work. I mean, I decided I wasn't going to do that a long time ago. I'm not going to change the way I make my work because it's not going to be authentic, you know, to the, to the 
narrative. And sometimes when there's protocol issues involved, if you have to go and talk to someone about something as well, you know, that object may or may not be in the show as well, but that's the sort of thing you have to talk and work, kind of walk, through, walk people through. But saying that, um, the Powerhouse Museum gig, which this gentleman asked about before, um, it's a very complex, difficult space. Um, it was a bit of a nightmare, actually. But they really did pull out all of the, you know, yes, you can do this. Yes. I mean, they didn't have millions of dollars, but, like, you, you know, you want to hang that? That's great. Um, because there was a tree section in there, um, a carved tree section, which is, you know, either, you know, a, a, um, a men's ceremonial, you know, object, or it's a grave stone. I mean, not stone, but, you know, it's a grave post. And so... That, and that was from New South Wales, where my mother's family's from, and that was very difficult because all the elders I spoke to, some said, yes, you can show it. Many of them have them in their land councils, like in Dubbo. Some said, no, you can't. And so it was about how I display that object. Um, and so we displayed it in a cabinet with a covering on it in a little cutter, and if people wanted to, they could lift it up or not. So it was really up to the onus of the person where they're from, the kind of education around that. Um, another thing was a, um, uh, an early um, uh, registration book which had in the, um, when the Powerhouse Museum was part of the, I think it was called the Technology Museum, um, it had uh, a Tasmanian Aboriginal skin in, in there as well and some Tasmanian people didn't want to see it and some Tasmanian people did want to see it. And, and, it's, and it's just a writing in a book. So this is the power of these memories and the legacy. So really, there are bigger fish to fry, so to speak. You know, I mean, the kind of what's at stake in regards to revealing these kind of complex histories um, is something that I'm more interested in than having to deal with... I'm raving a little bit now, but you know what I mean? <laughs> anyway, thanks for the question. Look, you seem to have been having some incredible discussions throughout your practice so that you're meeting people in Paris, you're bringing work back to Australia and showing people. How do you record that? You, I think you intimated to Aileen that maybe this work, for example, might have a didactic that might talk about those relationships, but have you thought about how do you, how do you communicate that? Because obviously you're making some incredible connections in, even in the photographs that you were showing us about meeting people from Brazil, meeting also mm. the connection for the guy that was working with Derrida. How, how is all of that adding to your own archive as such? Um, it's a good question. I mean, with the ARC research grant, we're actually creating an archive, an online um, audio archive. So the people that we're interviewing, both locally and internationally, it's quite ambitious. And my eyes pop when I think about it. But um, I think that I just want to share the kind of experiences that I have with people um, as much as possible. And I mean, the thing is with this project here, I mean, the stories are really interesting. And, you know, you kind of like... Um, there's also joyful stories, you know. This is, I mean, I know this is very heavy material we're dealing with here, but, you know, there's also very joyful stories. And so when I reflect on my grandmother, of course she had a fabulous time there, you know, and along the river and, you know, at Arambi and all of this, but, you know, it all also comes with the heavy stuff. And um, 
with telling the stories of Marcos's story, for example, I did think about writing on the photograph. It's not really my style. Um, I thought about maybe eventually doing audio kind of kits that come with it. But I think that for me personally, maybe with these works, it's just the photograph. It's just, it's their gaze. I mean, the good thing about Joy is like, look at her there. She's so awesome, right? But she's the most joyous, happy person I know in the world. And she's fierce there. Um, and the reason why she likes that is because she really does find his body beautiful in the best, best ways, you know? And so that she's, she already, her thinking that and telling me that story subverts, you know, so many things about how she, even as a person, let alone being a Jamaican woman, should think about ethnography. I mean, of course she understands how complex it is, but, you know, she also has her own voice. And I think, um, sure, yeah, there are these stories, but I think, um, I mean, it's funny. I mean, with Marcos, I've got photos of him laughing and telling stories about some of the photos, but he wanted to show this photo. You know, he wanted to come across um, a bit more perplexed. Anyone else got a question or a comment? Feel free. Yep. We went over there. Thank you, Susan. I just wondered, um, I'm still studying it today and working with archives myself, and I just wondered if there's any other artists, thing that the talk is artists and archivists, that inspire your work. Oh, no, absolutely. I mean, um, I've... Um, where do I start? I mean, one of the really interesting works of Jenny Holz's works on the, you know, um, massacres in Yugoslavia and the women there, um, you know, the bones, it's really quite something. Um, and, I mean, Christian Boltanski for various reasons. I mean, more so only because I, re I met him recently and we've spent a bit of time together and, um, and he really did talk about stereotypes and how people stereotype artists. And, um, he said that his work is not about Jewish culture. And, you know, the kind of things that you may or may not hear about, but, you know, his own personal views on his own archive or how he sees his own work. And when, once it goes out into the world, it does something, yeah, that you don't have any control over. Um, there are many artists that influence me, but also, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of like being introduced to the work here today. Um, connections, I mean, that's the thing that I'm really interested in. Oh, I've seen this work here, or I've seen that photographic collection there. Also with communities, I've been in contact with the Grafton um, community about a couple of years ago now, and, that, and trying to keep that going uh, because of uh, my research in Vienna. Um, at the um, University of Vienna at the Anthropology Department, working with um, a colleague there, Katharina Metziak, um, who was very kind of uh, responsible for the repatriation of Aboriginal human remains through the Viennese and Australian government over the last seven or eight years. But um, her work with Rudolf Persch, who was an anthropologist, who happened to come to Sydney through a faulty boat link between PNG, he was more interested in PNG, and he came through Sydney and up to Grafton. Um, and so there's um, a, 
a, a whole container of photographs from the Grafton home, which was an experiment for Aborigines to create, you know, um, wealth or, you know, kind of a, a society, um, and which I'm pretty sure is not in the Ayatis collection, but it's a very slow journey. I've already given some of those back to Ani Roberta, but of course, um, Uncle um, Archie Roach is Bunjalung too. So um, really, it's not just about artists, it's communities. And a lot of that research doesn't end up in my practice at all. You know, so there's a lot of other stuff that happens that is just part of me being in the world and connecting with, with people. Mm. Thank you.